Hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key <laughs> video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. Why are you, why are you laughing already? Uh, you just surprised me. I, I just exhaled and we're already starting. <laughs> yeah, here uh, we are. I said it was going to be a low-key one. Yeah. Welcome to episode 240 of the show. I'm glad that we're, we're uh, ending on a really even number. Yeah, yeah, that's important. So yeah, we, we announced this last week, but just in case you missed it, uh, we are taking a brief summer vacation from recording uh so we schools out baby this will be the last regular episode in the feed until we return on august 2nd with the dreamcast premiere but the last episode that will be in the main feed is our thousand year door bonus that will be coming out uh soon if you need like the full details of what this is we say it at the top of last week's episode and we'll probably post another reminder at some point but i just wanted to start by thanking everyone for being so kind i I had a feeling that when we announced that we needed a bit of a break that people would take it well i I didn't expect people to be like where's my content but uh (laughs) i was still blown away by just how kind everyone was and how everyone shared like their support and even people were like you should do this more often i think everyone was almost worried when when we announced we're taking right they're like you should have done this years ago uh but i just wanted to thank you all for for being so kind and and patient with us and understanding that we love doing the show but we're also like it's a show run by three people uh and we do a lot of a lot of content so thank you yeah we realized that even though we've been doing the show for five years and we've taken like three or four weeks off maybe ever we've recorded so many bonus episodes and stuff that we've recorded like five and a half years of the show <laughs> in just under five years time <laughs> which yeah. is like that's it's, it's an unhinged thing for it's us like that uh training chamber in dragon ball z where gravity is like stronger the hyperbolic time chamber steven yes, yeah is, yes. what, is what you're thinking <laughs> It's like those beans you eat that make you more powerful. Senzu beans. Senzu Steven. beans, Steven. Senzu yeah. beans. It's like that green guy who's a better dad than Goku. <laughs> Piccolo! Piccolo, Steven! Uh, not the Grinch. Not- <laughs> <laughs> Set up and twist, baby. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you. So uh, this will be a very, like, last class before summer break we're watching a movie instead of learning episode mm-hmm. i think and we have bill nye as our special guest yes! for this episode yeah. <laughs> our maybe it was just our school but our school like whenever the science teachers needed a break from the chaos of the classroom they would put on bill nye yeah and like same deal in uh my ap gov class we would watch the west wing when our teacher was like, whatever, I don't, yeah. I don't have time for you brats today. The West Wing, that's so funny. Yeah, it was also like, it, it, it was like kind of like, you, you will learn about how law works in the West Wing, but like the same way you learn how science works from Breaking Bad, I feel it's a little right. bit like, okay, this is not one to one. Yeah. Anyway. Also for our like deeply conservative region of New Jersey, that, that's a kind of wild show to be playing considering. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's like a liberal utopia. <laughs> anyway, high school trauma aside, why don't we? So we were going to open with a little bit about the PlayStation event and then uh, and then maybe do some listener questions that we got recently. Yeah, I think just loosely, just because I, I watched the PlayStation event uh, when it happened and then did a Wavelengths episode about it um, right after, which then got uh, mangled in the edit. And then I had to do a second version of it. But anyway, I'm very proud of that episode. I think it came out really good. Um, but I was just kind of, I just wanted to talk to you about, I was just curious how you felt about it. Cause I feel like the reception to the PlayStation event, cause they haven't, I didn't realize this. They haven't done a showcase uh, on this scale in like over a year at this point. Like they've done the little state of play things, but this is the first one in like over a year where they were like showcase, like this is it. 
Yeah. This is the future, baby. This is the PS5. And I think reception because of that kind of pomp and circumstance in the announcement of it has been a little mixed. People have been all over the map. I'm just curious how you feel about it. Because I, I have found, even since recording that Wavelengths episode, my opinion of the event overall has kind of shifted a little bit. Yeah, I, I thought it was okay. I didn't really go in with any, like, wants or desires. I like felt, <laughs> I feel like ever since Zelda came out, I'm sort of like, whatever else happens, I don't even give a shit. Like, it's just like... <laughs> I don't need or want anything, especially for our show. Like no new games can come out for like 10 years and we'll be fine. That's yeah. sort of like, so I, I, did you like when Prince Sidon hugged me? Yes, I did. I liked, <laughs> I liked when he hugged me. Dude, Sidon and Tears of the Kingdom is even better somehow. Yeah. Like everyone's like, oh, I can't believe Tears of the Kingdom is better than Breath of the Wild. I can't believe Sidon got better. <laughs> I, I didn't follow any of the rumors, so I had like no preconceived notion of what it was going to be. Yeah. I was curious because as we've discussed, like I think PlayStation 5 is is off to a slower start. And a lot of that is kind of not really directly Sony's fault. In general, like the AAA landscape is a little bit backed up still, you know, largely due to the pandemic and, and other events. So right. like, and also just like the production, there's there's a lot of elements of why you know, I think that every game takes six years to make now. Yeah. Yeah. And especially right. if they're like PlayStation Studios games, they're they're going to take six years and they're also going to be the most expensive thing that you could possibly make. Yeah. And I, I think that kind of goes to my point of like, I don't love Sony's approach at like their image. I think it's a common critique of events where like it's a cinematic trailer and no gameplay. Yeah. But it almost feels like that's intentional with a lot of the Sony stuff. It's like we make experiences, we make cinematic, <laughs> you know, it's right. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it's almost like these games resent being games sometimes. Yeah, that might be a little bit unfair. But yeah, I, I just I guess I was just like I entered with the curiosity of like, like, is this going to be the moment where like PlayStation 5 feels current? Because even with all the big games that have come out in the last three years, very few of them are ps5 exclusive and that's yeah. a good thing i'm glad like it's not being gate kept because it's still fairly difficult to get one and fairly expensive yeah but it also feels like well was this just a hardware upgrade like it almost feels like the ps5 is kind of a switch oled the, the ps4 pro pro yeah yeah that's yeah. kind of what and i don't i don't really mind that but it, it does raise some questions of like well when when are we going to get games that kind of feel more like oh this like the last time I've, I've said this many times but like the only game i've played where i felt like oh wow this is a new system isn't it was ratchet and clank right yeah and at this point that might be the only one that i played that feels that way and i'm not really i'm not that interested in better and newer graphics i think we're kind of at a plateauing point where like i'm sure there are going to be games that still push the boundary of expectation and of possibility but like i think as we learn more and more about game design and, and the experience of playing games i think honestly tears of the kingdom is a great lesson to be like it's actually more impressive to have really dense systems than looking the best and most yeah. realistic right because you know, at a certain point it's like if we can't really interact with that or or engage with like the beautiful sky boxes then like what's the point point? it's you know we kind of get desensitized to it totally if there isn't yeah. like an actual gameplay function to what we're looking at right because interactivity is going to lead to immersion more than just like having a bunch of papers on the ground each of which has their own 
little uh, advertisement that somebody had to toil away on. Yeah. You like, know, printed on it. As much as I love Red Dead 2, I feel like that game is weirdly a cautionary tale about like <laughs> if you have a whole team dedicated to like a horse, you know, how much did that really pay off? Like, I think that that game is is a marvel in a lot of ways. But yeah. like, it's also like if the things that are in the game are more there to like get people excited for the game and less to serve the game's function itself. You can feel that once you're playing it. Yeah. You know, I think everything in Tears of the Kingdom, and it's maybe unfair to compare games to Tears of the Kingdom, but everything in that game is serving the game itself. Everything is like truly literally interconnected. Right. Rather than being like in this game, the the when you skin a deer and put the carcass on your shirt, like blood will remain on your shirt after. <laughs> and that took like a year to make happen. It's yeah. Like, I don't want to undervalue the work that went into that game. Because again, I think it's really impressive. But that to me was the point where I'm like, okay, we're, we maybe we maybe went too far with this. Like what here is actually really impressive. There's a lot that is. And what here is like kind of extraneous. Like, okay, you just did this because you could but not because it meant anything yeah yeah weirdly i think the game that straddles that line the best and is a little bit unfortunate because it obviously has a lot of other problems is cyberpunk where it's like that game is like as high fidelity as detailed as you can possibly get and all of that stuff actually really does serve to put you in a place that you couldn't exist in any other way but you know there's there's a litany of other issues in that game yeah um i i'll say that one of the big things for me with this playstation event walking away from it i think well i guess the two big takeaways for me are number one actually every game that i'm most excited about from that event is also going to be available on xbox um right they, they tweeted it was funny they tweeted out um like the official xbox account on twitter tweeted what a good looking group and then it was just like a grid of all the games that were announced at the playstation event that are also coming to xbox which i think was it actually brilliant marketing move a lot of people i think were dunking on it It was like oh look xbox wants to like pretend that they're also hype about that but it's like no that actually i think kind of undermines sony's position a little bit in some of their like big showcase games to be like yeah marathon the new game by bungie the studio that playstation now owns that's also coming to xbox you know it's like oh okay that's yeah. wild but alongside that a lot of the first party stuff that we saw from sony which I thought was wild because it's a lot of studios that they very recently acquired. I think the the one that really stuck out to me was Firewalk Studios. They they acquired officially like two months ago or something and they showed another cinematic trailer for something with no gameplay. And then I had to like go to the PlayStation blog to learn like what is the game, which was weird. But all of the all of the like new first party studios that PlayStation has acquired are all seemingly as far as i can tell and and this hasn't been like confirmed but just reading between the lines i think they are those like 11 live service games that are being worked yeah. on so like firewalks new game concord uh what was the other one haven studios is making a, a game called fair games that looks like you know cyberpunk payday and i would guess even marathon is probably going to be another live service thing yeah and then there's the foam game as well uh, that's that's square enix yeah all that stuff i just don't really care about on a subjective level that like, game's I gonna think... get rocked with nfts i had i had a yeah i had a real like aha awakening moment while i was recording that wavelengths episode because the thing that you and i say all the time is like we never root for games to fail like we always want games to be good and succeed but i was like if that game has nfts in it i actually will be rooting for it to fail <laughs> I, I will be like no thank you you could kind of smell the like the corporate thought behind that game the yeah. minute it was revealed. That's yeah. that's that to me. Like, and then maybe that's a bit harsh on my end. I don't Again. think so. Because uh, look, uh, you you and I in a group chat that we have, we were talking about Tears of the Kingdom becoming one of the best selling games in Japan ever. And number one on that list is Splatoon three, which is yeah. wild. And as soon as that, as soon as you like, kind of come to terms with the fact that Splatoon three is one of the best selling games of all time, it suddenly clicks into place. Why Square Enix would be like, oh, we can do that 
I think it was the best like opening weekend or something, whatever the yeah, equivalent is. Either way, I mean, like that. it still is the top of the list. It was the number one game on that list that we were looking at. And as soon as you come to terms with that, it's like, yes, it actually makes sense that a billion other companies would want to try and replicate that. Yeah, yeah. And like, I love Splatoon and, and I welcome more games like Splatoon. Yeah. But uh, I just, I got big how do you do fellow teens energy from that from yeah. that trailer because i feel like it's it's so like it's one of those things where it's like we just put those pieces together and we're hoping it makes a billion dollars and also nfts it's like ew yeah everything about this but uh to be clear they haven't announced nfts in it but i'm just i'm just waiting <laughs> it for just it feels like it just it. feels can't you see them being like you can get an exclusive gold foam gun nft if you slow down the audio it's like not fungible toe <laughs> <laughs> like it's like you play it backwards yeah Paul is dead and you can get his <laughs> NFT. <laughs> Paul is dead and do you like receipts? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be too dismissive here. Like, I, I, uh, why, don't, why don't we talk about the games that we're excited about? The good shit. Of, yeah, I agree. The good shit. Okay, Talos Principle 2. Uh, I also haven't played the first one, but I feel like that will be a game you and I really like. Yeah, I got to play that game. Yeah. Kinda, I really have to play the first one. kind of witness-y. Yeah, it looks great. Neva uh also looks awesome this is this is one you, i think you said this on wavelengths but this is one where like i don't mind there being a cinematic trailer because that's the whole point of of this yes. of this studio like uh greece is a game that is like almost all about the atmosphere yeah kind of had like a high fantasy vibe which i'm very into yeah yeah i'm excited to see uh, them go in that direction plucky squire uh that's been on my radar for a while yeah can't wait for it i'm just yeah i'm um, just sick of that game not being out is how i feel about <laughs> it. uh i i feel like i don't want to touch this because i don't know enough to like have a take but the metal gear solid 3 remake i'm like curious about i know that comes with a lot of baggage yeah here's the thing so i i said this on that episode uh and i'll repeat it now but i was just like waiting for somebody who knew more <laughs> to kind of like yeah help me understand kind of the breadth of what's going on here because you and i i think are a little bit out of the realm of people who like really follow metal gear and what's up with konami and like outside of death stranding like i i don't really know a lot of kojima's other work and tam our friend of the show over at GameSpot and lucy uh they have a new show over on GameSpot, which you should watch you should go watch all their shows that they just launched on their GameSpot youtube but um they had an episode of their show that they just talked about this and they like tried to do some digging and some reporting to find out more about it and couldn't find anything wow and they were like this is very concerning and this is coming from tam who is like one of the biggest metal gear fans i think you and i know outside of like aj maybe yeah. um I think Tam says in that episode, he's like, I am the person who built my whole personality around Metal Gear when I was a kid like that. That was like the thing for me. So they went digging to try and find like even the studio that's making this game and couldn't find any information whatsoever. Wow. And and I think they, they brought up a great point. That's like if it's a company like Bluepoint, for example, because I think Bluepoint was rumored to be working on this game for a long time. If it's a company like Bluepoint making this remaster, then you would be proud of that and you would announce that probably in in the trailer. Um, but the fact that there's like no information whatsoever is really concerning. It's very, it's very weird. It's a very weird thing. We just know it, we don't even know what it's called, right? Fully, it might be called my Metal Gear Solid Delta because there's yeah. a triangle instead of a three at the end. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I do know that I have Snake Eater on my PS2, I have a PS2 copy. Yeah, and I also have the remaster of two and three that I don't think is for sale anymore. They got rid of it. They got rid. I'm so glad I, I got it. Me too. On Xbox, um, right? That's what you're on Xbox. About? Yeah. yeah. Um, that that is like another white whale. I'd love to do an episode like to kind of get into. I love when there's a big series neither of us know very well. Yeah. And I feel like Snake Eater feels like the one to play, at least for me. It's the one that I have a little bit of experience 
experience with. I really liked it, but just like fell off at some point. Yeah. So that will happen one day. Yeah. Well, they also have this this Master Collection, the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1, which is coming with Metal Gear Solid Sons of Liberty, which is the second one, and then Snake Eater, um, and has also been announced as coming with, I think, the original game as well, the Super Nintendo one, which is cool. But it's really similar to what happened with Rockstar and the Grand Theft Auto stuff, where they removed all the ports of Grand Theft Auto, and then they were like, here it is, the remastered trilogy, which, of course, was like a buggy-filled nightmare mess when that came out. So um, it's just it's just like another instance of a company removing a perfectly functional game so they can sell it to you a second time which sucks this all feels like it's boiling up i i I just feel like the silent hill 2 remake is going to be a mess i don't want to root like i want it to be great it just feels like it feels like everything is bubbling up to that happening yeah and this is a thing lucy and tam said on on their episode of the thing too is like konami hasn't released a video game in like six or seven years at this point like they stopped they just stopped making games that weren't microtransaction gotcha games yeah they were like we're just going to focus on pachinko machines and mobile games for the next like decade yes and that's yeah. what they did <laughs> again i want i like i love silent hill i i am very curious metal gear i want these games to be great i want the work going into them to pay off but it's it's hard not to feel skeptical of the sort of business around it yeah so. i am a little bit more optimistic about the silent hill stuff than i am about metal gear I'll say that. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I I think um, there's even more stacked against it now, given where we just got the Resident Evil 4 remake. And I feel like Resident Evil 4 and Silent Hill 2 are these like pillars of horror. Totally. You know, for very different reasons. But I just feel like the Resident Evil 4 remake being as great as it was is is now putting even more pressure on the Silent Hill 2 remake. Just ratchets it right up. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I totally agree. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Final Fantasy 16. Uh... I, I I don't know if I've said this on air, but my my current understanding of Final Fantasy 16 is that they didn't say no to any idea when that <laughs> game was being made. That's like my current read on the game. I'm like still weirdly cautious around it. There's been like some not so great like press around the game, yeah. but I am really curious to see the game itself and I, I will definitely play it. I'm a big enough Final Fantasy fan to like need to know what's up even if i even if i don't like the game i think it will be a lot of fun it it looks it looks like they're really leaning into the character action side of it you know with the devil may cry director being on board Uh, i was gonna say combat director of devil may cry is exciting uh also the combat director of dragon's dogma which we'll talk about later but uh which is which is very fun i don't know it just the more of this game i see the more excited i get about it and it's gonna be wild to have a final fantasy game come out like while we're on a break (laughs) and not be able to talk about it until we get back oh yeah this is the ultimate test i'm sure we'll record something by accident even (laughs) probably like a weird midnight We'll send each other yeah. letters kind of thing. <laughs> the thing that we say all the time about Final Fantasy is that the, the biggest strength and weakness of the series is that there's always a wildly new direction. Um, and I know some people are bummed. This is not this is like about as far from traditional Final Fantasy as possible for better and for worse. I just think in terms of its focus on action over turn based combat, it just it feels like a natural evolution of the series to me. Like when you actually look at every entry yeah. of Final Fantasy, there are a few that really fully embrace turn based combat. Like 10 comes to mind, but like the series has always first and foremost been interested in like being cinematic, even as far back as like Final Fantasy VI. That game is more interested in like wild abilities that look mm. fun to watch than like necessarily being super strategic so it just it just makes sense to me that this is the direction they're going in i mean even as far back as final fantasy 4 i believe at some point there was a split in development 
that led to part of the team working on the Trials of Mana. Oh, yeah. There was an internal debate about whether or not the game should be real-time combat or not. So I, I just think that this is a thing that, that this series has been interested in yeah. for a long time. And we're seeing with like Final Fantasy 15, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. I hope they don't like fully abandon turn-based combat, but... There's plenty, there are plenty of games that are fully embracing turn-based combat and really like pushing that forward, like Chain Deco right. is an Octopath. I, I think we're fine. Yeah, yeah, I think turn-based combat isn't going to go anywhere, at least, um, which, uh, yeah. what, was it the director of Persona who recently gave an interview where they were like, turn-based combat is still sick and people should love it? I, th- I think. <laughs> Probably, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if you want turn-based combat, Persona, like, that's your series. Yeah, I think Persona 5 did a lot to really show, like, hey, here's a... I mean, it, God, it's almost six years old at this point. But when that game came out, it was like, here is a game that feels so new and so modern, but is, you know, has these quote-unquote retro totally. parts to it. So, yeah. Yeah. Man, I wonder when we're going to hear about Persona 6. Yeah. that I mean, we got the mouthwash and the... Uh, what else? We got the ports, which was exciting. Yeah. Uh, the ports of 3 and 4 and 5. But... um. I would I would guess not this year. I think if we get something this year, it'll be that uh, rumored Persona 3 remake. I think I think if there's a thing that's going to come out this year, I think it, that would maybe be it. That would be really exciting. I'm almost more excited for that than six. Weirdly enough. Yeah, I, just I think, think me too. Weirdly. Yeah. Yeah. I think three, like three really needs a little bit. Like I, I think three Fez is, is like one of my favorite games ever, but I get that it's a little bit rough around the edges in a way that like, it is really the perfect candidate for a remake. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Back to metal gear real quick. That's, that's another game that's coming out on Xbox. It's not like going to be a PlayStation exclusive or anything. Another uh, game here, Revenant Hill. I'm excited for. Yeah. Yeah. By the, uh, by the Night in the Woods team, uh, yes. which is going to be exciting. Yeah. So there wasn't a whole lot going on in the trailer. Again, it was kind of just like a cinematic of a cat running around in like a really beautiful autumnal wonderland. Um, but uh, reading some stuff on their Twitter account, it kind of seems like it's going to have a like relationship management kind of life sim. Oh, thing, that's fun. Which I'm excited to see that team do that with that art style. That just sounds yeah. awesome. Night in the Woods like had like a very lo-fi version of that. Like yeah. that game is essentially like you could decide what to do every day and you can either spend time with uh, Bea or or Greg. Yeah. But it didn't really like tell there weren't like numbers attached to it. It was just sort of like what moment in time do you end up seeing? Yeah. So kind of leaning into that could be really fun. Yeah. Also just the way that that town evolves over the course of that game. Like even the people that you kind of walk around and see hanging out on like stoops and stuff have their own little mini stories that are happening alongside whatever you're doing um i just i just think that team is really smart about that stuff so i'm excited to see them make something new i think it's gonna be exciting totally i'll shout out alan wake too because we 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 skimmed by that one but i'm just oh i'm sorry (laughs) so excited about that game coming out uh it's this year also which i really wasn't expecting it's gonna come out in october which is perfect ready for the big one yeah what is it what's the big one the big one for us at least is dragon's dogma 2 oh yeah yeah i i yelled and jumped out of my seat i am obsessed with the slow boil of dragon's dogma dragon's dogma's legacy <laughs> that's hard to say um when we started doing this show I, I think i think it was a certified cult hit already but we we like revisited the game pretty early on in the show yeah and kind of embraced it almost half ironically as like an oblivion favorite because yes it shares a lot of oblivion dna it's like accidentally campy uh it's very like it's got a lot of the classic like 360 rpg goofiness to it yes but i think that game has like time has been so kind to it and now people just say it as if it's like 
a known classic and it's like hold on this this game did not do very well <laughs> like it did okay it sold like very okay but it really stuck around like it sold very okay for a very long time yeah it was very smart of them to port it forever yes another strength of uh, capcom is pretty good at that overall yeah i would say like this game came out in 2012 and that was a year after skyrim and i can't help but feel like that did the game no favors totally Uh, this is a dragon centric fantasy rpg (laughs) coming out a year after skyrim in an open world that is so uninterested in teaching you how to play or having an on-ramp at all yeah so i i think this game came out and people like you know i did okay uh and and reviewed okay but once you kind of got to separate it from like what was popular at the time the game is doing so much unique to itself and is such a for all the parts of it that feel kind of derivative it is such a unique experience yeah i revisited it recently because i'm like i feel like i know dragon's dogma but i also feel like it's like a dream i had Um, if you're not familiar with the game uh first of all you should you should check it out it's not for everyone but if it's for you you will love it that's the kind of game it is and essentially the the framing device of it is it almost feels like a Capcom. I mean, it is. It's a Capcom supergroup. It's a supergroup. Yeah, exactly. And it, it is really like a combo of you've got a little bit of the hack and slash arcadey combat of Devil May Cry. Uh, you have a lot of Monster Hunter DNA with like the bosses and the enemies, like the various weak points, your ability to like actually climb enemies and like cut individual parts of them off. One of the first enemies you fight is a chimera. It's a lion with a goat and a snake head and like they knew any any seasoned monster hunter player would go after the tail and getting to cut a snake head tail off of this beast is so fun yeah the big thing that dragon's dogma does like all of that is cool all of that like could have worked you know have a slightly slightly more arcadey more hardcore version of a game like skyrim mm-hmm. or even dark souls the the secret ingredient of dragon's dogma to me are the pawns so when you make the game you make your main character who's called the arisen uh which i won't bother explaining that (laughs) that's the thing too like the story is neither will the game really so yeah yeah (laughs) what the game chooses to explain is very funny uh so you make a main character the arisen you also eventually make a pawn who is like, this is the NPC sidekick that will be with you for the whole adventure. Right. And just like the main character, you choose like what they look like, what their class is, um, what their name is. One of the funniest things about the character creator also is that and they don't tell you this, is that how you build your character affects their stats in the background. Yes. And you can't see the stat sheet. So you like actually don't know what's <laughs> happening. But like if you make your person like really, really tall, they're going to have different stats. And if you make them really short, for example. Yeah. Um, so my pawn is huge, uh, of course. Uh, his name is Junior. Yeah, um, hard to stagger. <laughs> exactly. Is what happens when you make them gigantic, yeah. And there's also like a weird personality quiz after you make a pawn. Yeah. Like, what's like, what's your dream companion? It's a little strange. But anyway, the pawns, the way they work, you could play the game totally offline and they're actually like procedurally generated pawns that just sort of wander the map. You always want to have a team of four. Yeah. And you can order the pawns around, but they, they mostly operate to themselves and they will tell you like the game doesn't tell you anything purposely the pawns are there to guide the player it's easy to choose to ignore them my biggest piece of advice is to listen to your pawns they are telling you things that are actually important and can be easily missed turn the pawn subtitles on yeah it's so easy to write off everything they say definitely because a lot of times they'll be like it's a new day time to go to bed it's like okay or even if there are no wolves around they'll be like wolves hunt in packs it's like okay i know (laughs) man 
Um, and when they say stuff like it might be fruitful to like go back to town and buy stuff, like, yeah, man, that starting town that you might immediately run from has so much in it that will help you out. This was the thing. Okay, so uh, yeah, the, the reveal on my end is that I've also been playing Dragon's Dogma 2 <laughs> ever since this announcement happened. Because uh, Sorry, I've been playing Dragon's Dogma since the, since the trailer for 2 showed up. I, it was the only thing that was really pulling me away from Zelda. And I started a new character because my character that I had was like, I think like 10 hours in or something. And I yeah, like, I also I'm, started a new one. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I'm not going to remember how to play this. So I built a new character, new pawn, new everything. And I endeavored on this playthrough, something I've never done before, was to actually hang out in the opening town. So I just hung out in the opening town and like started exploring because I've never done that because I always feel like the game is trying to you know push you out the front door and like you know get you out into the adventure into the journey. But I was like, let me just see what's going on here. So there's like the one quest that I think everybody does because it's really hard to miss where you have to like get a bunch of flowers for the woman who's like running the infirmary. Um, and she needs like flowers that only bloom in the daytime and flowers that only bloom at night. Um, so you learn a little bit about the day night cycle, how long that takes, that it's like more dangerous to go out at night than it is during the day, and like more monsters will show up and they're like more difficult things like that which is cool that's a great first quest i think for people but as soon as you're done with that they unlock like five to six other quests in that opening city that are all so fucking weird like did you do the one have you done the one where um there's the kid who steals the bible from the church <laughs> no, there's a church all the way at the top of the town and if you go up to the top of it you can talk to the the pastor who's like running the church uh and he's like looking all you can see him like looking all over for this bible he's like i can't find it the scriptures are gone like i don't know where they went and you walk outside and immediately as soon as you walk outside there's a kid and he runs up to you and he's crying and he's like i stole the bible and i just wanted to read it for my side just wanted to know what was in there it seemed like such a cool book and then the dragon attacked and i dropped it and ran <laughs> <laughs> and you need to find where he dropped the Bible. <laughs> It's so silly. It's really fun. I think I shared this on the show like a while ago, but there was, I think it was in that town. There was a quest where you have to like wait in the inn for a burglar to show up and then you literally just chase him through the streets. Oh, that's like the first minutes. city. That's like, yeah. That, so I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like the fishing village. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. I, I couldn't remember if it was in that one or not, but yeah. The, that quest is awesome though. Yes. That one's awesome. Grand Soren is like the place and that's usually, like, even if you ignore the first city, like Grand Soren is like your, your hub for the whole game yeah it's honestly a really cool like i love that as a central location yeah i feel yeah you could you could spend like 15 hours just there like hanging out so the thing that makes pawns so interesting is that they will remember passively as you play the pawns will just pick up information so they're like okay i know what enemies are here after fighting an enemy i know how to fight them better yeah. uh, i know the location of certain quests and then What's really cool is that you can essentially, if you are playing online, you can summon other people's pawns to join your team and they will share the information they already have with you. So basically, like as you play, you can share your pawn with other people and your pawn will help them out but also will gain information from their travels. And then when you play again, they'll be like, I know an endgame quest that we've never seen before. Follow me. And they'll bolt. Yeah. And you can follow them. And that is so cool. It really is. I think we've said this before, but it's like making a character out of from soft notes. It's like, what if a yeah. note a player left to guide you in the right direction was internalized as an NPC? And that makes this game feel so mysterious and so alive. 
And that is, I think, why it stood the test of time, because there is so much undiscovered that you you really only will learn by either stumbling into it yourself or letting someone else show you the way. Yeah. Not to mention, like, the combat is really fun. Like, I'm playing as a mage this time and just being able to, like, fire spells off mm. in the background is really fun. It's a game that is so comfortable letting you do whatever. That's like the best and worst thing about it. I do think like it doesn't do a lot to really make you care. That's like the biggest fault of the game is like you're not going to really like I, I've never really been that attached to the story. Um, I've never really cared about the main plot, even though like the plot gets really weird in a way that's kind of fun. Like I, I don't know how far you've gone, so I won't spoil it. I have not experienced you've alluded to this more than once on the show and I've, <laughs> I've not hit whatever that plot beat is. Yeah, there is a the setup is essentially this dragon rips your heart out and 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 you still live. Yeah. Thus proving you are he, the arisen. The 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 dragon is so big that when it rips your heart out, it's like it it kind of uh turns your heart into like a shish kebab at the end of its very long claw on one of its hands and yeah. it like eats your heart and it's like flies off. Yeah, and everyone's <laughs> like I don't know why but you're alive and now pawns will live and die for you. Yeah. They just um, like they just pop out of the multiverse. So like hello arisen. Hello. I'm yeah it's so weird and it's so fun and i think we're in this era now of games like elden ring and tears of the kingdom that really meet you where your interest is and i think dragon's dogma was an earlier example of that um yeah. i do think it's more punishing than maybe honest i think it's more punishing than elden ring truly it can be that's the thing the world the world so like elden ring notably isn't scaling it's leveled to where you are. You know, it's like if you if you're having a hard time in an earlier area and you go and level up in another area and you come back, it'll be easier. Technically, the same is true of Dragon's Dogma. It's just that the world, I think, ramps up in a way that uh, is uneven and unpredictable. And I think that's kind of one of the most exciting things about the game is like how much discovery and how much exploration can completely fuck you over or be like the best thing to have ever happened to you. Because in, in Elden Ring, like notably, you know, the game gets more difficult kind of uh, at on a curve the further out from the starting area you explore, right? There's like this kind of whole opening world that's like you can take most of it on without needing to even level up or like change your gear at all. Dragon's Dogma is not that way at all. Dragon's Dogma is like, hey, it's it's almost it feels like a, almost one of the most realistic high fantasy experiences you can have in that, you know, when you're like running down the street or like down a road or something from one city to another, like you better keep to that road unless you are really prepared yeah. to face some wild shit as soon as you leave. They really want you to feel the stakes of the adventure. And yeah, like it's like it's dangerous to go out at night. It's like, oh, yeah, that's like a very given thing. But it's like, no, no, it is like, yeah, it, it is actually night and day <laughs> if yeah. you go out at night. <laughs> yeah, it's the best ever example of that, I think, because that's the thing that's in so, like even to like Minecraft, like so many games have taken that on. But Dragon's Dogma really makes you feel it. I think even right outside that fishing village where you first start the game, if you're outside of that area at night, there's this beach called the Unusual Beach that's right there um and it's covered in like 40 goblins and like they have like goblin captains with these like big scary kind of like bone masks and stuff and they're like armed to the teeth and they will fuck you up right at the top of the game if you're not prepared for it you need to have like a bunch of good pawns with you already at literally moment one of the game if you want to take them on and that's like that can happen to you immediately as soon as you walk out the door for the first time. The game is really trying to encourage you to like take full advantage of the pawns yeah. and, and really focus on doing quests over like just grinding. 
because quests will give you the majority of the gold you need. And, yeah. and that's where I think the Monster Hunter reveals itself or the Monster Hunter loop of like you have this safe city you come back to and you gather information and then you go out and do your best. Yeah. And once you kind of like the game doesn't really reveal that loop to you, you just have to sort of discover it for yourself. And I think once you are aware of that, the game becomes way more fun. And like there is so much to discover. Uh, and I think it feels richer because the game really isn't forcing you there. Like, yeah, it feels like your interest is rewarded because the game is so open and, and be like, oh, OK, well, if you go down this path, eventually you're going to see this wild reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so like, I, I remember there's a there's a pawn guild in the main town and there's like a weird dungeon in that like underground. Yes. And I remember yes. I, I just like went as deep as I could into that dungeon and uh, it was worth it. It was a really cool moment of the game that stuck with me. Yeah. Similarly, there's a whole like political conspiracy happening as well that you can like totally miss. <laughs> uh, it's 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 a really cool game. And I'm so excited to see like it is a, also a great candidate for a sequel because as much as we love it, there's a lot you could do better. I, I think the narrative yeah. is a clear thing. I think there's also like even just moments, like UI design and stuff. UI design. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with another shot at it. Yeah, this, this is the thing I said in Wavelengths is I, ju- I just think now is the time for a sequel to this game specifically i think it really is like right place right time right idea uh because oh yeah I, you and i talked about this when we were playing elden ring but like elden ring feels so much like dragon's dogma in so many ways and it feels like it takes a lot of the ideas that dragon's dogma had and like really just nails them like executes them perfectly but even going back and playing dragon's dogma now alongside tears of the kingdom and after elden ring it still feels like a really contemporary game it filled does. with really interesting cool ideas and i am so interested still on a moment to moment basis of like just pulling on every loose thread I can find like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm running down a pathway to a city, but my pawn is like, OK, here's a fork in the road. We should make sure that we're like going in the right direction. I'm like, but that dirt path looks fascinating. Like, I got to know what's in there. It leads right into the woods. Like, I have to see that. And just like following that thread for an hour or two, I will say my experience with Dragon's Dogma this time, because I think the fourth time I started a new character, it feels a lot like what you and I have talked about a lot about Monster Hunter and also from soft stuff. And we talked to uh, our friend in the show, Chris Plant, about this a bunch as well. But both of those series, Monster Hunter and I think the FromSoft stuff, you kind of need to like almost it's almost like starting a leaf blower. Like you need to like pull on the pull on the ignition like a bunch of times and then eventually it'll be like, oh, shit, now I'm leaf blowing, baby. Like now I get it. Now I understand (laughs) Monster Hunter. Now I understand FromSoft and Dark Souls and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know what it is, but this time starting up Dragon's Dogma for the fourth time, I, I started as a strider. I like knew what I was doing when I was building a character. I had that aha moment that was like, let me just hang out in the opening fishing village and see if there's more stuff to do here and continuing to kind of ask myself those questions, but also lean on what I knew and have learned from the past, like the importance of skills and like setting skills and learning skills and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the importance of like combining items and knowing a, a couple combinations here and there. I feel now more than ever, like I get Dragon's Dogma, which is really exciting. I don't know if this is a game I'm going to put down anytime soon, which I feel like wasn't the case in my previous forays into it, at least. Yeah, it, it really does. I, I think of this special time, like I know it was a year after Skyrim, but I kind of see Skyrim, Dark Souls and Dragon's Dogma as this weird triumvirate yeah. that came out around the same time. And it's cool to see, like, I think, you know, Skyrim, I think had the biggest and loudest and most immediate influence mm-hmm. on other games. 
Um, Dark Souls obviously has been more of a slow burn, but is now so predominant. And I feel like now it's Dragon's Dogma's turn, where it's like that game, you know, was the sleeper hit alongside the sleeper hit. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited to see like what more games pull from it. Cause it's, it's a very special, very special. Don't game. you think in like a post Death Stranding world and in a post Elden Ring world, the pawn system is going to be a thing that people are obsessed with? I just think people are going to love the pawns. I'm so excited for people who have never played the first Dragon Saga to get their hands on this game. I just think yeah. it's going to be so... I, I hope it's good. First of all, like, I just hope it's good. Like, yeah. I, I <laughs> there's always the chance that it could come out and, like, not be even, like, at the level of the original, which is, you know, that's a possibility. But I, I just feel really optimistic about it. And, you know, speaking of right place, right time, right idea, I mean, this is Capcom in its prime right now. Yeah. You know, every yeah. game that Capcom has released has been a fucking mega hit in every franchise they have and i'm hoping that dragon's dogma is no different and knowing the amount of resources they have available the amount of like marketing acumen and just like the level of quality and competency of all of their games over the past like five or six years i have to imagine that in the wake of elden ring being as successful as it was i think capcom's gonna push dragon's dogma 2 really hard i also think this game will be it, it's kind of weird to think that the first game came out before streaming was like as of a like mainstream thing as it is now yeah it may not have even existed yet i maybe like right at that time i think it was still justin.tv i don't even think it was twitch yet in 2012 yeah so i think that this game will really benefit from that like i think people sharing their own experience right? and everything will really really help push this game to people who maybe maybe on the fence and yeah. maybe thought it was oh this is just like capcom's fantasy series like yeah it's more than that i'm excited for you and i to just yell so loud and bang on all the trash can lids we can possibly find about how <laughs> everyone needs to play dragon's augment 2 yeah that's i would actually hard. i would i would prefer that we didn't even have to do that i would prefer capcom to do that for us you know yeah i think i think it's a pretty big deal i think that again people have stuck around for it there's a lot of passion for it it's yeah. very passionate fan base right. but uh I think this could be this could really make more fans, uh, which is exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. Is there anything else on this list that you want to you want to talk about? I mean, the whole hardware update is like kind of weird. <laughs> it's <was> so funny. <laughs> um, oh, I'm excited for Spider-Man, too. Oh, That's, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Kind of a known commodity at this point. Yeah. It's going to be a great time. Yeah. I just Yeah. There's no way it's going to be bad. I, th I just think it's going to be a, a great video game. We're all going to have a good time with it, probably. I know I've, I've been like lukewarm on PlayStation, but I do love a lot of their first party studios. And Insomniac is like top of the list for me. Yeah. They can make whatever and I will at least check it out because I just think they, they make the more interesting stuff, in my opinion. Yeah. I think that the big absentee was uh, that that multiplayer Last of Us Part Two spinoff that. Oh, yeah. That Naughty Dog has like confirmed that they are working on. Um, and they've recently released a statement right after this event saying like, hey, this is like needs a little bit more time to cook. Because I think originally it was supposed to come out this year was the rumor, but maybe not anymore. And Jason Trier just released a report saying that apparently they had like Naughty Dog brought in a bunch of people from the Destiny team and from Bungie to look at it and be like, hey, how do you think this stands up as like, you know, a, a multiplayer live service game? And they had concerns about it. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I am curious about that. Weirdly enough, like Uncharted 3 and 4 and the first Last of Us had surprisingly good multiplayer. Yeah. Um, really? It wasn't yeah. it wasn't enough to like stick around for way too long. But I think that was in an era where like games were pressured to have multiplayer like Bioshock 2 and Mass Effect 3. We're like old enough now to remember like when times were different. But just like, you know, I remember the the uh, reaction to Mass Effect 3 having multiplayer was so negative. It was like 
this is a sign that the game is doomed. They're not focusing on what Mass Effect yeah. really is. And then when Legendary Edition comes out 10 years later, everyone's like, where the fuck is multiplayer? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Which I get. Yeah. I mean, it was it was fun to play as a Krogan in like a squad-based survival uh, mode. It's a lot of fun. So I'm curious to see what Last of Us multiplayer is like. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, yeah I'm curious just like even, I think, what it is. You know, like... It, is it going to be I could see I think that the thing that I see in my mind's eye is like a triple A version of Rust set in the Last of Us universe, like something yeah. that that's pulling on those strings of like why Rust works and Valheim and these kinds of games that have this like kind of really uh, like open world experience where you're playing online, but like other people can be the bad guy, you know, or you could work together. I don't know. That that just feels like the kind of thing that I, I haven't seen a AAA studio put together yet. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, like the combat in Last of Us Part 2 is great. Yeah. yeah it's really <laughs> it's like, it's, we've mentioned this before. It's like, it's so good. It almost detracts from the game's message where it's like, oh, this is like weirdly fun, even yeah. though I'm supposed to feel the horror of it. Yeah. Every once in a while on TikTok, I'll see clips of people doing like 360 no scopes as Ellie. And I'm like, this is, this is the antithesis <laughs> of the game, but it fucking looks rad. <laughs> then someone shouts like Michael in the distance. Yeah. <laughs> uh remember that i forgot i forgot about that they got mike um <laughs> he loved tetris and his dog yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit like the oblivion npc dialogue where like what's the news in the other parts of tamriel <laughs> goodbye good day um see you later they got azora uh yeah <laughs> i'm excited to see that that's all I got on this event. It was fine. It was sort of a, I tend to feel that the PlayStation events are usually a little underwhelming. I don't really know why. Yeah. They just don't really have it down like the Nintendo directs. I just feel like are more, there have been some disappointing Nintendo directs, but I think overall those events are more successful. There are also more um, of them is the thing. There's so many Nintendo yeah, directs that like, yeah. you know, even if one is disappointing, there's probably another one on the horizon. Yeah, that's true. I also think Nintendo tends to announce things with some exception, like, you know, Cheers of the Kingdom. They tend to announce games sooner to release. Yeah. Whereas, like, we knew about God of War Ragnarok and, like, when Dragon's Dogma 1 came out. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, when, when there's another event with, like, another trailer for a game that's, like, three years away, it's like, uh, yeah. You know, this feels more for shareholders than the audience. Yeah. Wait, I mean, to be fair, that's what E3 always was initially, sure. or at least that's why it yeah. started. Um, and that that's another thing I talked about in the Wavelengths episode for people who were, like, really, really disappointed by that event. I'm like, I don't know, man. Don't build your emotional well-being around what is essentially a, a, a video of trailers for shareholders like that's yeah i mean i remember like when, when e3 was still a thing and and we like you know in the early days of our podcast our season premiere was e3 yeah uh right. having to watch the whole event you you kind of walk away feeling a little jaded yeah even like a really exciting e3 at a certain point you're like if i see another spaceship with like a weird <laughs> like borderline military propaganda experience yeah I'm, I'm gonna go take a walk yeah i know what you mean yeah which it's a lot of what we got from playstation that's the thing yeah. I, I think that the, <laughs> the thing for me is like looking at a lot of the stuff that's coming out from the first party studios that they acquired a lot of it seems like they're because 
Jim Ryan gave a quote recently about their live service game saying that they're trying to serve different audiences. And when I look at what I have, you know, to go on based on that event, all of the live service games that they announced all seem to be different permutations of like, dude, you can collect guns and shoot people with them, which like their first party studios are making 10 live service games. And we we saw four of them. And they all seem to be different shades of kind of a similar thing. Yeah, totally. You're absolutely right. Um, the, the, the one that I was like most hopeful about was Concord, which is that Firewalk Studios one. And then I went on the PlayStation blog to read what it was about. And it, it actually, I think I have the quote here. I could just bring it up. It's a PVP multiplayer FPS coming in 2024. <laughs> I'm just saying, make a live service overcooked, you know, make like a, a, a hectic kitchen. That Yes, just fucking make another Any Fall Guys, genre. you know, like. Right, right. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot that you could do with that formula that isn't just PvP shooting. Yeah. Make Dragon's Dogma 2 a live service game. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't no, do that. Don't do no, that. Don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> we, you can get John has... Wick as a pawn. <laughs> <laughs> Say what you will in the character creation of Dragon's Dogma, there one of the eyebrow options is like a The Rock eyebrow raise. Oh, really? And now I just imagine The Rock just following you around in Dragon's Dogma. Like we should go in the woods. My uh, my my pawns right now are the one that I made. I got another one that was like on level with me, and then there was one that cost zero because like you have to like buy the pawns. There's like a like a currency that you use to get the pawns. Yeah. There was one that cost zero that was level seventy, and I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> they're coming yeah, with me. I have a. Uh, her name is Valhalla. The two pawns that so I have me and my pawn, and then the two the first two pawns me that came in. Pawn. <laughs> me and my pawn. Me and my pawn. I don't know what that I was. I guess you just what I need. That was like me and my car. Was that what you're going? For? Oh no, I don't know. It just it just came here in. in my car. It's just me and my pawn. Dragon's dogma. <laughs> um. Anyway, the two pawns that first came to me were literally Link and Hawkeye from uh, Full Metal Alchemist. And I was like, yeah, That's why tight. would I reset this? Yeah. Um, so and cool. Hawkeye was like level 50. I'm like, shit. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. It's the best. I got a state alchemist with me. Yeah. I will say I, I usually play as a warrior, which is the class that has like the sword and shield. And this time I'm playing as a strider, which has a bow and arrow and then like two little daggers. And that has been so fun because the warrior feels and plays very almost like... I would say somewhere between Oblivion and Demon Souls in a way. Um, yeah. And the Strider with the with the double knives is where you really feel the Devil May Cry influence. Yeah. And, and the Strider specifically is good at scaling an enemy. So yeah. they're really good at climbing. I actually I, I was going to say I would recommend if you're playing for the first time strider is the class i would recommend starting with me too now yeah and make your pawn either like a sword and board tank or uh, a healer yes that way you just have like your bases covered right playing as a mage is, is pretty cool though because i've never really dealt with the spell casting mm -hmm. it is kind of fun to like just kind of pew 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 in the back and then cast like a big fire spell watch all your pawns kind of do the heavy lifting for you yeah it feels almost single player mmoe like it almost reminds me of like a less hectic xenoblade at times yeah which is having like the big group with you. Yeah. That's the PlayStation event. That's it. Um, wow. We, we won't be posting episodes when the other events happen, but um, Wavelengths will continue. Wavelengths.online. If you want to check that yeah. out, I'll be posting some stuff. And honestly, I think there's a world in which you and I talk about Summer Games Fest when that happens. Yeah. That's the big missing link for me, I think, with the Sony event is that there's probably at least one or two PlayStation exclusives that will be at summer games fest like some of the bigger ones if i was to guess if it's really exciting i mean because we we usually would make a like uh there was that one summer games fest that i think led to leakage of mp3 yeah but there were a couple years where like uh there's not really a lot to talk about we can skip this one right if it's like really 
exciting, we'll record something like maybe for the Patreon, maybe, you know, as an emergency episode. I can see us doing that, even though we'll be on break. Yeah, I it, that's a, oh, that's pretty soon, actually. That's um next week. Yeah. I mean, like I, you know, we're, we're recording Thousand Year Door next week anyway, so it's not that yeah. big of an ask. And then the Xbox event is on the 11th. So Summer Games Fest is on the 8th. Xbox. We'll play it by ear. Yeah, we'll play it by ear. No, no concrete plans, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Anyway, should we take a break? I would love to take a break. We'll come back, answer some questions. I I need some advice from my pawns. (laughs) There's a there's a weird thing with pawns, too. They'll they'll come back from their travels with like gifts. Uh, And then you can sit them down and be like, look, I need you to change your personality. Yeah. (laughs) Like you can sit them down and and they're like, would you like me to be more aggressive? So this is. Would you like me to talk less, master? Also, everyone is like the pawns aren't human. And I'm like, you got to quit saying that. I feel like there's a weird undercurrent to the pawns. Maybe that's what the game is about. The further in you get. (sighs) I can't say anything. Oh, man. Uh, Okay. There. I will say that there is a weird link that you can already kind of see between the pawns the arisen and the dragon yeah uh and that is explored in ways you couldn't possibly imagine oh i'm so excited (laughs) see you later i will say one last piece of advice if you're gonna pick up dragon's dogma which i'll also say is available on the switch and is great on the switch it's a lot of fun on the switch it's like runs so well it's where i play it usually um when you play the game because it is the dark arisen edition of the game if you are in the main fishing village at night the first time it changes from day to night, uh, there will be a lady at the end of a dock with like a like a lantern and it'll like play a little cutscene to really show you that she's there. That is the beginning of the Dark Arisen DLC story. Do not do that at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that is, recommend. that is end game content. Yeah, uh, that is. <laughs> I made that mistake last time. It was a nightmare. That's also pretty educational of what the experience is like, though. They put the end game content at the very beginning in the fishing town. Yeah. Without telling you what it is. Yeah, it's it's wild. That's, that's my that's my last piece of advice for Dragon's Dogma. I would just recommend playing Dragon's Dogma. It's really good. It's a, it's a great time. Uh, buy a lantern. Make sure your food doesn't go bad. It does go bad. It does go bad. It's worth knowing that your sour scrag of a beast will spoil if you don't combine it or <laughs> eat it right away. You got to combine it. You got to put it in airtight flasks. Yeah. All right. See you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Arisen. <laughs> Farewell, Arisen. Hello, we're back. Hi. Because we're going away for a while, I posted a tweet that was like, hey, you have any questions you want you have for us? Get them off your chest before we go to the beach. And uh, a bunch of you asked some questions. I think that's what we're going to do. I think we're going to end this episode before our break. A bunch of questions. I love doing questions. It's sort of like uh, bowling with bumpers a little bit. It's like, oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> the pressure is off, baby. Uh, you know what? Let's start with one that's not even related to video games. How about this one? This one's from Mace. What is the best flavor of ice cream and the worst flavor of ice cream? Oh, shit. Best flavor is moose tracks uh, or lobster tracks, I think they're called. Uh, That might be cheating, though. It's just like a bunch of stuff in it. I think that counts. Yeah. My singular answer, though, if I had to choose like a a, like clean flavor, uh, pistachio. I love I love. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, That might be a hot take, but I, I think it's refreshing, but it's not toothpaste. Which I know is the is the cusp of like mint ice cream. Yeah, yeah, the mint chocolate chip. I I can never get into. Like I get I get the idea behind it, but it never works for me, and it is a little toothpastey. Yeah, I like it, but if I said that was the best, people would actually stop listening after our hiatus. So I'm going to choose a <laughs> slightly less controversial pistachio. Why do I feel like we've talked about this on the show before? I th- my my answer Maybe. is black raspberry. Mm. Oh, you've you've 
brought up black raspberries I'm, as a flavor before unprompted it's <laughs> just unprompted yeah i think you're unstuck in time like billy pilgrim style where you're just like moose tracks <laughs> like, like in the middle of recording black raspberry is my favorite i picked it out when i was a kid because it's purple and purple's always been my mm. favorite color uh and also i just think it's the best flavor have you ever had taro ice cream no it's also uh taro root it's also purple you know, oh like yeah. i should try it what is the worst flavor I weirdly am thinking mint chocolate chip now that you put that in my head. I, I can't go that far. I mean, you can you can answer however you want. You can break my heart on on live TV if you dare. <laughs> the crowd goes mild. I um, think uh, it, coffee is also up there for me. Oh, I love coffee. Do you? It's a little weird. At a certain point, it's like, what are we? Are, am I just like eating the leftover Dunkin' Donuts like for, <laughs> like ice latte? Yeah, I love the taste of coffee. I just like I would never order it as ice cream. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Um, birthday cake, way too sweet. That's my mm. least favorite flavor. Yeah, yeah. When it gets too sweet, that's always the issue. Yeah, like cotton candy or birthday cake. Any flavor that is just another food is an uphill battle. I, <laughs> I always have a hard time with. Uh, I forget what flavor it is. The one that has the Swedish fish in it. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Is oh, those the gummies? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, there, there's a there's a Ben and Jerry's flavor that has Swedish fish in it, and I just like I can't do that. I'm not into gummies in general. I, I grew up with so much orthodontist stuff that I just like mm. evolutionarily avoid gummy snacks. You know what? I think you're unlocking. I think you're unlocking something within me. I think that I, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I don't mind like gummy bears every now and then. Um, the ones that are like the German name, I think like the yellow bag. Classic. Yeah. Those are yeah. awesome. Haribo makes like four things total. It's like a big deal whenever Haribo releases a new thing. And I know this because my partner, Persia, loves candy and has a big sweet tooth and gets really excited about new Haribo stuff. And I don't eat like any candy ever. Yeah. The gummy bears as like a movie snack. Gummy bears are a great movie snack because they're not messy. But you can kind of just throw a bunch in your mouth and be fine. Do you I remember like once you're in the dark covered in like butter and chocolate, it's all, <laughs> it's all over. I went to uh, the movies recently with uh, our, our friend of the show, Will, who's going to be on our thousand year door episode and uh they ordered wings at the at the oh. at the theater that we were at which like come on the thing at alamo draft house it's like my favorite movie theater i think it's great the food is like fine the food is like remarkably okay but they always have specials they have like a specials menu that they rotate like really frequently and the specials are always amazing like anytime there's new specials i will always order them and always try them because they're usually pretty good and the specials recently were these burberry spiced wings um which that we were just like literally right before we started recording today, Will, Will and I were talking about it. But the, the whole situation was like, Will orders the wings. The lights go down to start the movie the second the wings arrive, which means it's dark and you're getting increasingly stickier as you continue to <laughs> eat wings. And it's the beginning of the movie and you have like two and a half hours of just like feeling sticky and weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's an uphill battle. I commend the bravery, though. Yeah. It's like going to uh, do you remember medieval times? Oh, yeah. Do you ever go to medieval times? Yeah, I've been there. Uh, I went like three or four times growing up um, and my night always lost. I always, for, <laughs> for whatever reason, they're the different. I, we might have had this before, but there are the different nights that have like allegorical characteristics. Yeah. So there's like 
the trickster night. There's like the handsome night. They make you eat with your hands. I remember someone saying like, <laughs> wait, 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 we should explain actually what beautiful times is. I just realized Is it only in Jersey. I think no, it there- might be. I think there's other ones. Yeah. Like that are like medieval times, but I, I don't think so. Medieval times is like this big fake castle that exists in New Jersey where you can go watch <laughs> a bunch of people dressed as knights joust. And there's a yeah. fake king and queen and you have to eat uh, a whole roasted chicken with your hands. I, I remember a server saying they didn't have forks in the medieval times. That's why you don't get one. And I'm like, have you looked at any painting of royalty or like <laughs> they absolutely had silverware. It was like a big deal. Yeah. We, we that was like one of the first things people made was like utensils. <laughs> and also they didn't you have silverware. They'll also give you a fork and knife if you ask for one. In medieval yeah, times. But they want you to be like full. They want you to be your worst self, basically, like yeah. yelling at the blood sport while you eat a bird with your hands. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, man, I got to go back there, huh? It was fun. There's like the one in Jersey, at least there's a whole like actual sort of museum exhibit in the lead up to the place. Yeah. Where there's they have like old like armor and like weird things. Man, I forgot about that. And there, but like usually it's like there's like an actual like horse trick. Just like as you're like ordering, there there you know are are horse events happening, and then there's like the plot. The plot happens, and that's <laughs> when you got to root for your knight. I will um, say uh, they're unionizing also, which makes me want to go and support them. Yeah, that's that's exciting. It's it's a really I think it's you need to do it once. If you have the ability to, you should go at least once. Yeah, that's that's the number one thing to do if you go to New Jersey. It's sort of like Ren Faire meets wrestling. That's like my best pitch. Yeah, that, like, is, that is a pretty good pitch. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Renaissance Fair is a singular event. Man, I've been meaning to go back to medieval times for so long. I, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to rip the bandaid off. Yeah, do it. Our game of the year is medieval times. <laughs> the place. The, the thing about medieval times, the last time I, I looked was that the VIP seats are not much more expensive than the regular seats. I think it's like a $20 difference between like getting regular seats and getting the VIP seats, which are like front row. Like, but you know, like I feel like getting the VIP seats at medieval times, you are now part of the story. Yeah. Like I imagine they're like, by the way, like you've got to show up right after the wizard shows up and like do X like you are, <laughs> you are now a supporting character in this yeah, event. Right. I don't know if I would, I would need to be in the right mindset to want to do that. <laughs> I was just, I was just, uh, I was honored to become the godfather of one of my cousin's kids. Uh, and, and it right. That just reminded me of, uh, all the like little kids who were sitting at the inside aisles, the priest like handed out like towels to all the little kids to bring up to like wipe the baby's head clean of all the oil. I was like, here's your special job. And that's going to be me at medieval times. <laughs> yeah. You've got to like fan the night awake. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So my, my favorite ice cream flavor is black raspberry. Uh, my my favorite ice cream flavor is eating chicken in the dark. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but cobbling of you. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. This one's very silly. This one's from Jeff. Can you each, Please say five nice things about Kingdom Hearts three. <laughs> how about, that, how about <laughs> I think that's I don't want to say that's too hard because maybe that's a mean thing to say, but I'll say how about we come up with five things collectively? Collectively, I think I think between the two of us we can we can name five so things. Like that we five, liked. yeah, yeah. I think I think it looks great. I think like the actual it's like beautiful presentation. It's like one of the better looking PS four games. And the yeah, I think the the production value is fantastic. Yeah. I liked when Jack Sparrow turned into a hundred crabs. <laughs> Did you? And scuttled that was the, the moment. That was the moment you like left. It was also the moment I put the game down. Yeah. 
but I liked like, it. They can't top this. <laughs> I think the gummy ship stuff is is better than it has been in the past. Yeah, I agree. I think but that's I the best the gummy ship had ever been. Yeah, it's been a while. Because um, also space is like a totally open thing in that game, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, so that there's that. Uh, that's that's three. three things. You got another one? We're, we're doing great. Um, I'll say that the Tangled World, I think, is like one of the most stunning video game levels ever built. I think like the way that they were able to take, I forget what that town is called, but like the, the castle town where Tangled takes place in, um, the, the recreation of that space and being able to run through it, that was like, that was kind of the dream of Kingdom Hearts 3 for me was like, the level of animation I see in the movie is also what is capable on the hardware that we're playing on and, and being able to like walk into tangled and like take out my flip phone and, and take a selfie with goofy, uh, was, was like one of the highlights of video gaming in that year for me. This is my, the fifth and final thing. Nice thing about kingdom hearts three, the last, the last good thing. The thing about that game is that I played it right when it came out. I haven't really played it since. And Overall, the reception of it was much more positive than like you and I felt like a lot of longtime yeah. fans were, were pretty happy with it. And since I first played three, I have now played Birth by Sleep and 358 over two days. A lot of the more esoteric entries of the series. I imagine that there would be way more emotional payoff of like seeing all those characters having context for who they are. So I think the last positive thing I would say is just like having everyone kind of back together in a last hurrah is cool. I think that that is like an achievement of the game. Yeah. Uh, even if it takes a, a lot of, it is depending on you having that knowledge already, <laughs> but I could see that being like cathartic for people. I'm also just generally excited for kingdom hearts four. Like, I think it's cool that they're still making one and I I'm excited to find out what the future of that franchise ends up being. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I, I I'm also like, I don't know if I will ever turn around on three entirely, but I would wager that if I went back to it, I would like, think it's fine even i actually listened to our episode on it recently and like that's kind of where we landed we weren't we didn't hate it we were just disappointed yeah. um and that's kind of i think where i would still be <laughs> some lukewarm realm of disappointment yeah maybe i'll just re-download it and, and just pick up where i left off right right when jack sparrow turns into crabs i've heard that the like finale is good that's the, the thing i keep yeah. hearing that the ending is really great and i want to i want to know what that's all about um, so you gotta just get through big hero six also, the Toy Story level was great. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit unsettling, but it is good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we also got that that shot of Woody pushing Sora aside, which is like yeah, a a evergreen meme template, right? In my opinion. Yeah, I think like ten thousand years from now, people are gonna like uncover that in some kind of ruins and be like, "This is a religion." I was on uh, <laughs> our our friends Adam and Dom. I was on their movie podcast, Eye of the Duck, which you, you should listen to. It's great. They had me on for the Toy Story episode, and I like almost had to explain to them <laughs> what Kingdom that meme Hearts. was. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I, I, "You can't just casually explain this." I'm like, "Okay, so first there was Ventus." Uh, <laughs> Destiny anyway. Islands, daytime, yeah. Sora, Riku, Kairi, building a raft. Do you think there's a bit of a Triforce there with courage, bravery, and power? Or courage, wisdom, and power? Courage, wow. bravery. I'm braver than you are courageous, idiot. <laughs> Why don't we move on? <laughs> no! No, I'm braver! Yeah. Courage, bravery, and not being scared. That's the Triforce. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's the we, king. <laughs> we, should, we should move on to another question. Don't worry, right? I'm not as easily scared as you are, brave. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Yen Sid told us. Sorry, let's move on. 
Uh, all right. This one is uh, from Boz Lerman, who I think is not the actual Boz Lerman, if I was to guess. Uh, yeah, probably not. But uh, I'd like to think that Boz Lerman asks, who do you think you'll main in Street Fighter 6? Ooh, good question. So some of my favorites are not currently there. Uh, we did get a bit of, I think there's a leak of who the first wave of DLC will be. I really like what they're doing with like, there's a nice mix of new characters and old characters. Mm. Of the, of the characters that I like know and haven't played as yet, uh, I love Ihonda. Ihonda has been a go-to for me for mm. a while. He's a nice, uh, he has a little bit more options than like Zangief is the grapple character. Yeah. Um, Ihonda is like a grapple light character. Like he, he is predominantly grappling, but he also has a lot of like, he can just like kind of fly in a direction. So he almost has like a lot of the movement options that Blanca has. Um, so Ihonda, I love. If they ever add Dudley or Ibuki, instant main. Uh, I love both of them, third strike characters. And I'm also really curious about the new people. I, I really want to play as Kimberly. I really want to play as um, some of the new characters. Luke is like fine. Uh, I played a bit as Luke in the demo. But yeah, Ihonda is, is the one that I will probably play as first. Do you, anyone calling out to you? I know you're not, you don't have the same history. I, I just don't know them at all. Like I, yeah. I think that's one of the most exciting things for me is going in like completely fresh. I've also kind of steered clear while playing Dreamcast stuff of street fighter for now. Cause I want my first experience to be with six specifically. Oh, interesting. As like, yeah, here's sense. the entry point for me. Like as, as a new player for in, in the street fighter canon, like I want to, I want to experience it the way they are building it for new players, hypothetically. Um, and then I'll go back and, and experience the ones on Dreamcast. But uh, yeah, I, I have like, I got nothing, which is exhilarating. If he's like how he has been in the past, I would say Ken is a great uh, like intro character. Yeah. Ken or Ryu, but Ken specifically has always kind of been like very user friendly. As a I do play as Ken a lot in Smash. Oh yeah. Ken's awesome. Yeah. So maybe Ken is your guy. I also love his look in, uh, in six. Yeah. Cause all, all the returning characters have like a, almost like a time skip redesign. Yeah. You think you think they'll put Yoda in there? <laughs> Maybe Spawn. <laughs> Street Fighter is actually one of the fighting games that has had very few crossover cameos. Uh, like They're Street Fighter confident. characters have come to other like Akuma is in Tekken, I believe, as like just oh. one of the characters. And That's cool. there have been like, you know, crossover events like Street Fighter X Tekken and stuff. But rarely is there just like, yeah, like Luigi's here. <laughs> or like the battle toads are here. Oh, whereas Luigi Mortal Kombat, though. yeah, Mortal Kombat is like that's they fully embrace that these days. I saw the new Mortal Kombat one, which you talked about on DLC yeah. in the most recent episode. Yeah. Um, that was a great episode, by the way. That oh, was thank like you. it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to record. I like that show. That was like actually one of the best. Like even pretend I didn't know you. I think that was like one of my favorite episodes of that show. Wow. Time. That was really cool. Stop it. Anyway, uh, you talked about Mortal Kombat one, which I completely missed. Like as a person who like is generally keeping an eye out for game news. Like I totally miss it. They had announced a new Mortal Kombat, which is funny. Um, but I saw they announced like the two first crossover characters or the first two characters they're adding are Homelander from the boys. And also, I don't even know his name, but the other evil Superman from injustice, not injustice, <laughs> um, invincible. They're just adding like the two evil dark Superman guys for some reason. Like what? <laughs> why are those the two first guys you announced? And there's a Jean-Claude Van Damme skin for Johnny Cage, which I think is <laughs> amazing. That's, that's good. That's full circle, right? Yeah, that um, I love. I, I'm excited for that. I, 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 Mortal Kombat has been like on and off for me, but I think I will check out Mortal Kombat 1. Because uh, I just want to see what they're up to. You said this on that episode, and I totally agree. But like, I, I'm just so excited to have a new Tekken Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat in the same year. Like, it's so cool that that's happening this year. Oh yeah, 
and I just want to experience all of them. Like I want, I want to have that moment with everybody else. Absolutely. I'm curious to see which one will kind of resonate the most with us. I, I would guess Street Fighter, but I'm keeping an eye on Tekken because I haven't played Tekken in a long time. I like Tekken a lot. I love Tekken, and and I feel like I'm getting 3D fighters like. Three fighters are on my mind via Dreamcast, like playing the first right. Soul Calibur and other uh, uh, the virtual fighter, other games on that's uh, Project Justice. <laughs> I, I'm really excited to see how Tekken is because the last Tekken game I played was Tekken Tag 2 in 2011. So it's mm. it's been over a decade since I've played a new Tekken game. Um, oh man yesterday uh went out with some of our friends uh i i uh, just took a camera out to like to go to street photography around manhattan but we were up by um up by video games new york which is on broad street and sixth if you're in new york i would recommend going it's really cool but the last time i was there was when we were prepping for the game boy advance episode and i bought a bunch of game boy advance games while i was there uh which was really cool and this time i was like oh shit a reason to go back and go like see what's up with their dreamcast stuff um they didn't have any of the peripherals at all which really bummed me out i was like i was looking for like the microphone or the keyboard or something i like i really want to play typing of the dead like the way it was intended me too yeah and we need Um, a microphone for c-man for c-man yeah and and uh I did find they had a bunch of VMUs though, like new Ooh. inbox VMUs, and they're Ooh. like they're like forty dollars, so like not that bad. I will definitely get one. Just of those. a heads up, yeah. I, yeah, I need I need a second. When one. you when you come to New York, we'll we'll go and and get some VMUs or something. I also have to get another controller so I can play stuff multiplayer. Absolutely, that's exciting. I just realized I'll have to probably bring my Dreamcast with me when I visit Jersey. <laughs> That'll be fun. You could just like do Steam Deck. Um, what else did people ask us? How about this one? Uh, this one's from Chris. Summertime feels great for playing certain games. For me, summer isn't the same without racing games, but Stardew Valley-ish games are best enjoyed in the winter. Do you have seasonal favorites? Great question. It's a really good question. Uh, I mean, kind of what we were saying, fighting games have always felt like summer to me. I usually get, like, I usually am playing games with other people more in the summer. Yeah. Uh, and it just feels weirdly appropriate to get into fighting games in the summer. And yeah, usually in the winter, I will find like a big RPG to fall into. Like a, I mean, I, I like mainlined Dragon Quest Eleven. the winter. That was also still quarantine. So that was just like, yeah. that's all I'm going to do. What else are you doing? Yeah. Months. Yeah. But yeah, summer has always been like, uh, I don't, honestly, Dreamcast feels very summery too. It does. Uh, yeah. It I'm feels feeling like it. Dreamcast summer. So yeah, fighting games. Any kind of like arcade, it's probably the connection to the Jersey Shore boardwalk, the arcade. Mm. That would be my answer. Yeah. For me, it's always Fortnite. Fortnite is the game I go back to every summer. I don't know what it is, but they always have an event like around the summer. Actually, that makes sense because like kids are out of school and stuff. Like it makes sense to have your like biggest, most exciting event in the summer. But every summer I go back to Fortnite and I have a really good time with it. And I'm like kind of excited about, you know, like late July, whenever that update comes out, whatever it may be. Uh, of jumping into that game again i think it's gonna be really fun that's exciting Um, yeah i just i just find i play a lot more multiplayer stuff in the summer i don't know why that is considering like you could also be outside hanging out with your friends (laughs) yeah but I, I just find that like I have more instances of like calling you up and other friends of ours and be like, hey, do you want to jump on X game and play this? Um, whereas the rest of the year for me is mostly single player stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Hanging with friends. Dude, socializing. That's, that's my game of the year. That was my game of the year two years ago. It was. <laughs> Monster Hunter Rise. Although yeah. <laughs> Monster Hunter Rise, I think, has only like I went back to it recently, especially because I was playing Wild Hearts and I was like, kind of want to go back and compare. And it's like, oh, this is the reigning champ. The, the Monster Hunter Rise is such a good game. Yeah. I do want to get the DLC. I, I, I've been meaning to play Sunbreak for a while now. Yeah, I got to check that out too. I haven't, I haven't done that yet. We'll get to it. Here's a good, here's a good last one. I'll, I'm going to append my own question to this one also. 
Uh, but this one's from Kelsey. Games you're most looking forward to that release during the break? And I'll add, add a follow-up question. What are you most excited to just play during the break? Like, Is there anything that you are like, wow, I have all this free time to like play a game that I don't have to talk about on the show? Is there anything that like comes to mind on that front? I think like in terms of what releases for me, it's Final Fantasy 16 is like the one I'm like, I'm just like, yeah, stoked about that. And Street Fighter six as well. I'm pretty sure Boulder's Gate three is in August. I was thinking of that as well. So that yeah, will, I, I think we'll be back by the time that comes out. I think Pikmin four comes out while we're on a break. Also, Ooh, I, I have it. So I got the two vouchers to get Zelda. I might use my second voucher on Pikmin. I'm thinking that, too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the game I'm looking forward to playing the most, honestly, like I'm really looking forward to kind of having a more leisurely pace with Dreamcast. Um, yeah. I really I really want to get far into like, I think I know enough about Skies of Arcadia to like talk about it, but I really want to see that game through. I, I have a lot of stuff on my backlog that I'm excited to just like play more of. Uh, I might even finish my maddening run of Three Houses. The oh, stuff yeah. that I like, I don't really have more to say about on the show, but I want to keep playing. Mm. So for me, it's going to be like Zelda, Backlog, and Dreamcast. Those yeah. are like the triumvirate for me. How about you? To go a little bit deeper into Backlog, I think I'm, I'm going to finish Yakuza 0, I think. Oh, cool. Because I, I really want to finish that game and maybe even Yakuza 2 Kiwami or Yakuza Kiwami 2 also. Just as context for Shenmue 1 and 2. I think that that is kind of important for me, at least to like frame my opinion of Shenmue around having played that like first kind of trilogy, I guess. That makes sense. Of, of Yakuza. And outside of that, I think I'm really feeling Dragon's Dogma right now. I think I'm going to be playing a lot more of that game if I was to guess. Um, yeah. it, it just it just is so cool. And I, I just want to get further into it. But yeah, Zelda's the big one. Zelda's one of those things where like I actually took a couple days off playing it this week, which was fun. I, I just played Dragon's Dogma. Like that's the only thing I was playing this week, which was cool. But I just went back to Zelda uh, last night a little bit or yesterday during the day and played uh, a little bit of the Water Temple, which you and I were just talking about before we started recording, which is the last of the four like main temples that I need to finish. Oh, wow. It's your last one. OK, yeah, which is pretty cool. And uh, I am starting to gather what is left in the game after that. And it's significantly bigger than I thought it was. Like, I thought it was gonna be like, do those four dungeons and then like, you know, make your way towards the finale. And there's so much more video game that is ahead of me that I, I am starting to feel a little bit less bad about like kind of hitting the ground running and like playing through the story, just knowing that there's so much left. The other big realization I had while I was playing and I, I zipped to the water temple and I won't, I won't say... I won't say anything specific, so no no worries about spoilers here. I just haven't explored the sky at all. I just I, I was talking to my partner and she was like, hey, do you have all these like X's in the depths? And I was like, no, what are you talking about? She's like, yeah, you know, you go up in the sky and like you can you get these things that like put little X's on the ground in the depths for like things for you to go check out. I had not seen a single one of those. Yeah, it, it reminds me so much in, in Wind Waker. One of the things you can do is look for treasure maps. Oh, yeah. And like the they will show you like where there's buried treasure like you know because one of the cool things about that game is that when you use an item while you're on the boat it will be like a boat version of the item so the hook shot on the boat is a big like claw that goes into the water and will pick stuff out of it yeah so you can go and like find buried treasure in the sea uh or the bomb turns into a cannon i mean even the way the the shapes of the sky islands feel kind of wind wakery mm. um and getting the old maps that mark places in the depths feels a lot like that i love how this like each area feeds into each other like if yeah. you're exploring the sky it will kind of push you towards the depths and vice versa i do think the sky weirdly is like 
that is, I, I don't think you're alone. That is, I think, the, the place where, like, people have spent the least amount of time, at least based on my conversations. It's also just uh, the hardest to get around, I think, which is kind of ironic to, to say, yeah. considering the depths is supposed to be, you know, it's like pitch black and uh, super difficult. And the whole idea is like, this is supposed to be a challenging area, but it's actually the maneuverability in the sky that makes it hard to explore effectively, I think. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I remember I was in a point in the sky where I was trying to fly to an island in the distance and I kept like barely making it. And then I later learned that is like, the entrance to the water temple that you're like very much not supposed to oh, be able no to way. get to. Oh, no way. That's so yeah. funny. And I was like, oh, okay, so there, there's like a whole quest based on getting to this place that I was just desperately trying to reach. Yeah. Um, But it's so cool that it's just there. It, it is like a place you can you can mark. But yeah, the, <laughs> that was the, the thing sky, Chris Plant was saying on the besties yeah. was he made it to the wind temple before. Oh, that's impressive. Isn't that wild? Yeah. And I also learned you can do that with the water temple. Uh, and there's like a whole like side bit of dialogue that happens where they give you the Zora armor. They're like, well, you already did this, but here you can have this. That's so funny. They like yeah. fix it themselves. I think um, I, I've, I mentioned this before, maybe on the show or not, but the way without spoiling, like the lead up to each temple is so cool. Like it feels like they are really teaching you what the core mechanics of that temple are going to be. It's kind of a way of making the temples item centric without actually giving you an item. Right. Yeah, that, that game continues to be wonderful. And I, I, it just feels still so endless, despite me having thought that I was getting to the end of it. I, I've been pulled into the news side quest, too, with pen. It's so good. Yeah, I just got a hand glider that's made out of newspaper. It's yeah, like it's the great. news. Hand gl- it's so fun. Um, the thing that I'll say about that side quest, and again, not to spoil anything, but I, I think the fun thing about it is like you're helping out Penn, who is this uh, Rito, who's a who's a reporter uh, who like flies around to all the different stables in Hyrule. And they each have like a little tiny story that's happening there that he's investigating. And they do a really good job of actually making you feel like you're like an investigative reporter yeah. in some of them. Like some of them are like pretty easy or simple or just like fetch quests or whatever. Um, and some of them actually involve like doing digging, talking to people around the, around the, the stable and like finding and fishing out information that you can act on, which is really cool. It's a really cool feeling. Here's an impossible question that I've seen going around Twitter. Pen or Cass? Cass. Cass? I think it's cast for me. I like I like Pan a lot and 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 Sora Long has really like fucked me up, I think, forever. Uh but man, there was nothing there was nothing like running through that world and hearing Cass in the yeah, distance. Yeah. The thing so I think it's actually interesting. They they serve a similar role where it's like they're almost like the FromSoft NPC of the game where they have like <laughs> their own story happening when you kind of stumble into them. Yeah. Cass was like, because Breath of the Wild in general was much more solitary, running into Cass, like you said, felt so magical. It felt like a huge relief to like yeah. hear the music and, and run into them and hear their tales. And also, you know, very, very uplifting to have this like heroic bard kind of venturing into this like wasteland, basically, um, like bringing like a sense of hope to anyone who's around. Pen, I think, is, again, more about connecting people and sharing information and like his quest makes more sense for the theme of Tears of the Kingdom. Um, I love both of them. I don't think they need to be pit against each other, but I do think like running into Cass always felt magical. Running into Pen is exciting in a way that's more familiar. Yeah. There's also a little bit of like an obliviousness and maybe even a bad at his job aspect of Pen, which I think is very funny. Because, yeah. Because it's always like he's talking to the very first lead at the beginning of one of the stories and then you will finish the whole thing. Then he'll show up and be like, oh, 
you did it already. Yeah, there's a little bit of Herlock Sholmes going on with, yeah. with Penn's career in journalism. It's a great way of putting I'm it. I'm really hoping the end of the quest gives you his, like, hat. I really want oh, that, like, man, that'd be You know great. what I mean? Yeah. I want a Newsies outfit. It, it would be so fun. Uh, cool. Was that was it the last question? Yeah, I think those are all the ones we should answer today. Wow. Well... Uh, it's kind of bittersweet. It's like sort of the last day of school before summer hits. Yeah. But um, we will be, I mean, you'll hear from us pretty soon. So we have the thousand year door bonus that will be hitting the main feed in early June. I'm also recording a episode for our Patreon that will probably be released later in the month, but that is there. Um, any percent for patrons will continue as well. But again, I just want to thank everybody for understanding and for encouraging us to take a break. Uh, it's going to go by really quickly. It's, it's not even so fast. Yeah, It's two months and then we're back with the Dreamcast. I'm just really excited to see what new ideas uh, happen, like what we come back. I mean, we'll have so much to talk about <laughs> after we take yeah. a break. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that energy. When we I return. read Infinite Jest. <laughs> <laughs> I finally read Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. And I, <laughs> I keep thinking of Addison Shrugged whenever I see him holding the sign. That's awesome. I'm like, what if there was like a Terrytown counter to Atlas Shrugged? Oh my God. That's so funny. Addison Shrugged. And it's it's just Bioshock, but in Tears of the Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, the depths. It is funny. I, I, I'm actually just excited to have a lot of time to read books. I think that's that's the thing is like I, I find that video games mostly take up my book reading time. Yeah. Uh, and now I, can, now I can read a bunch of books and that's gonna be nice. Dude, reading for once. Yeah, yeah I for me, it's TV. I, I don't really watch much TV at all because because of games. So it'll just be nice. It's probably gonna be a lot of Zelda. Let's be real. But I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else to shout out. Um, man. I guess like a couple other podcasts to check out. Also, Waypoint's gone. That sucks. Uh, yeah, I was going to shout out Waypoint. Uh, go listen to Press Start. Press Start is good. Uh, obviously, all the other stuff on on TWG. So Asynchronous and, and Frog of the Week. Uh, that stuff's around. Uh, Bad End is good. I like Bad End. If you're looking for kind of like a Waypoint energy, I think they have it. Our, our friends of the show, Chris Plant uh, over at the Besties and Tam over at GameSpot. They're good. We also have some exciting plans that I think we'll keep a secret for now. But uh, I, I think I think when we come back, it's going to be a whole new vibe, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that, that was I, I, tw- I tweeted a little thread last week about it. But um, this is this will be the first time where you and I have time away from the show to like think about it, like from a like format and just like everything perspective. I mean, we've never, it's really hard to change what we're doing when we're in the middle of it. You know, it's like, you really do need to kind of take some time away to look at it a little bit more holistically and, and yeah. figure out what, what can and should and, and, and maybe needs to change, which is exciting. I think we'll look at like, you know, we'll see how we feel during this, how it impacts the show. This might be something we do more often, potentially. It might be something we do every so often. Uh, yeah. I, I will say if you, if you want to help us grow and help the show continue, uh, because we're taking this time off, maybe, maybe share it with a friend more than you normally would. <laughs> yeah. If you feel passionate about it, you know, maybe recommend it to a friend. Catch up on the backlog. I mean, you, you and I talk yeah. about this a lot, but like this is one of those shows where I, I think a little bit of the intentionality behind it is that it can be listened to sequentially that will add to the experience. Like if you start from episode one of Into the Aether and make it to this one, um, I, I think I think there's value in that. Uh, at least I, I'm modeling it after shows that I loved that were built the same way. Uh, so now's a really good time to do that if uh, 
you're interested. Yeah, you can hear us get progressively more and more excited for the eventual release of Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> and then hear how that goes. Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean, I, I, I think uh, it's it's been long enough now. We have that, to say one more nice thing about Kingdom Hearts 3 now. Okay, okay. I really like Goofy, especially in that one. I agree, yeah. Yeah, I think Goofy is one of my favorite Final Fantasy characters. Me too, yeah. Yeah. Gorsh. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> see you after the summer. <laughs> yeah, catch you later. Uh, my name is Brandon Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brandon Bigley. Also check out Wavelengths. Uh, I'm still going to be doing that while we're gone. So, I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Into the cast at online. You know the drill. See you soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Garbage. The online.